Welcome to PE Talks Africa, the African Private Equity and Venture Capital Association's podcast. In this series, industry leaders will share their views on the investment landscape in Africa and will discuss latest trends covering fundraising, deal making, value creation and exits across private equity, credit and venture capital. In this eighth episode, we host a conversation with commercial investors committed to Africa's future. Todd Mikkelwhite, Head of Distribution Alternatives at Sanlam. David Moore, Head of Alternatives at Alexander Forbes. Charles Muebeja, Managing Director at Sango Capital. And Anthony Hagen, Managing Director at Colonial Consulting. Talk to Alexander Alfonsi, Founder Partner at Axonia Partners. This panel on Going Against the Grain was hosted at the 16th Annual AFCA Conference in Nairobi in April 2019. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Alexandre Alfonsi. I'm a founding partner of a firm called Axonia Partners. We are a corporate finance advisory boutique and a placement agent based in Paris. Um, that's it for myself. But when I was asked to, to, to uh, moderate this panel, going against the grain, I was reminded this would be the start of the rainy season here. So I was thinking of those memories of Afka last year, for those who were there. <laughs> and I thought, what should I be packing? You know, I was really scared, especially I wanted to run up Mount Langanot this Sunday. So I took all my running gear, just in case it would be very rainy. And it turned out to be very sunny. You know, I, I didn't pack for sunscreen, so I got really red. And I was thinking maybe this is the spirit of our discussion. We're talking with commercial investors here, and although we would agree that this is a quite difficult moment sometimes to raise money for African private equity funds, there are some bright spells, and there are some investors who are committed to Africa in the long run. So this is the spirit of our panel of commercial investors here. If I may ask each of you very briefly in three short sentences to introduce your firms, um, what they do, who you are, what you do within your firms, and what commitment you've made uh, to, to Africa. Uh, maybe Todd, I'll let you start, and then David, and, and then uh, Charles and Anthony. Yeah? Yeah, thank you, Alexander. I'm a little surprised you didn't refer to the graveyard shift at all. <laughs> um, we were talking about it a little bit before we came out, but I was the only one who thought that we would have a room as full as this because I know how big a pool David is in the scheme of things. <laughs> um, and also, I did hear a rumor that Michelle was going to increase the fees next year. <laughs> so just uh, quickly, a, a bit about my company and, and my role in the company. I work for the asset manager uh, unit of Sunlum. Sunlum, the largest insurer in the continent, presence in 34 countries in Africa. We effectively have quite a broad mandate as an asset manager, so we cover traditional asset classes, traditional active, passive, we have multi-manager and, and an alternatives business. The alternatives business, which is where I reside, uh, has various pillars covering private equity, private debt, real estate, infrastructure, and some liquid alternatives. And my role within that business is effectively to, to help institutional investors to access private markets in Africa. So that's in my home market in South Africa, but also more broadly across the continent. 
and that does speak a little bit to, to raising capital for funds, but also to developing bespoke solutions given the breadth of our uh, capabilities. Uh, another sort of self-appointed role that I have is to be an advocate for Africa investment, as I believe everyone in this room also has that role. Just briefly about our commitment to the continent, um, I think maybe just I'll, I'll talk to Sunlam as a group um, and what they, what they have done to invest for their own business across the continent a bit later. But in terms of the asset manager, we manage $60 billion worth of assets, predominantly in South Africa. But in terms of mandates on a pan-Africa basis, we, we are raising a fund for Africa uh, private debt, a senior secured fund. We have an Africa real estate fund, and we have a, an infrastructure fund, which has a broader mandate, but has a, a invests across, across Africa as well. Thanks. David? Thanks, Todd. Can you hear me? He's, uh, close enough. Um, I'm not sure the crowd's for me, Todd, to be honest with you. I think, I believe you were the one that was busting out the moves on the dance floor last night. So, um, it might be for you. Um, but anyway, so uh, just to introduce Alexander Forbes quickly, we're a South African-based asset manager with around $20 billion of discretionary capital under management. Uh, my role within the firm is really to look after our alternatives offering, um, and specifically with regards to alternatives, our private markets business. So we have a South African private markets business in, based in South Africa and investing in South Africa across private credits, infrastructure, agriculture, uh, and property, um, along with private equity, and then to launch our Africa product, which is the reason why I'm here and the, uh, my commitment to Africa is that we are at the early stages of launching an integrated African private markets offering for SA pensions. Um, my name is Charles Moweha. I'm with uh, Sango Capital. And Sango Capital is a, a private equity uh, firm. We are focused on Africa as a geography. We invest in funds. We invest in secondary transactions in funds. We also make direct investments. You will not be surprised to uh, hear that I'm the only one up here that will not speak about our AUM, because <laughs> I'm the only one that doesn't manage billions, like everyone else has mentioned. But we essentially have a diverse set of clients, um, all commercial um, clients. They range from sovereign wealth fund to private pension funds to endowments, foundations. And for me, actually, the most interesting is families. So we manage money for people that have made uh, money typically from other businesses. They've sold those businesses. And so we're custodians for, for their uh, family's wealth. Um, we invest uh, in the mid-market uh, growth-oriented uh, private equity space, so we back managers that are typically uh, mid-market-sized managers. They're typically single-country focused, or they might be regional, or they might be sector-specific, in which case they'll cover a much broader uh, swath of territory. We invest in companies directly, uh, mostly alongside our uh, managers uh, as uh, co-investors, but we also very rarely, uh, when we find the right opportunities, we'll make uh, direct investments ourselves. Good. Uh, thank you. Um, full disclosure, we actually have money with Sango, so, <laughs> you know. Uh, that, that's why I'm sitting close to him. <laughs> uh, I'll give some um, background on the company I work for. It's Colonial Consulting. It's an investment advisory firm based in New York. 
and we have about 140 clients, uh, mostly endowments and foundations, about um, 40 billion under advisement. 15% of the 40 billion goes to private assets. Um, I'm in charge of private asset investing at Colonial, and we put out about 400 to 500 million dollars on a year in new uh, commitments. And in terms of what we've done in Africa in the past, maybe four or five years, we've put out about 100 million on investment in, in sort of commitments, but this is across on infrastructure, oil and gas, mining, as well as on traditional PE. Well, Anthony, since you're, you have the mic, um, sure. what do you think investment consultants like yourselves, advisor, advisory firms, can do to increase the understanding and the awareness of African private equity for global investors? Um, that's a good question. Um, I, I think with consultants, the good thing about consultants is that no matter what, you have a captive audience. You know, whether you're non-discretionary or discretionary, you have a group of clients that are going to see whatever you recommend or even whatever you have in your pipeline. So by putting more African names that obviously you've done the work on, uh, you create this multiplier effect of just broader engagement. So that's one way I think we can sort of forward the Africa uh, message. Another way is that um, most consultants are not Africa-focused, right? So you're dealing with other types of GPs. So you're going to other annual meetings, other events, talking to other LPs, and you could bring up the fact that Africa is interesting. You know, you're seeing great opportunities in Africa, and this is a place they should be looking at. So I think that's the way you know, we can further the whole Africa message. And Charles, obviously, you're investing some of Anthony's capital. How do you say, uh, how would you say that your, your investors, your plan of investing money for commercial investors, how would you say committed to Africa those investors are? And what, what can you do to increase that commitment yourself? So I, I find that narrative actually quite challenging. You know, we talk about commitment to Africa, and, and frankly, for me, that phraseology sounds a bit like a hospital pass. It's like asking the rugby player, you know, are you going to, are you committed to that tackle? It might end you up in hospital, but are you committed to the tackle? It's like we talk about commitment to Africa almost in terms of assisting or helping. But in reality, I think our types of investors have the whole globe as their opportunity set. They can invest anywhere around the world. They can invest across asset classes. Um, and so, to tell the truth, they are not committed to Africa, you know, and, and frankly, neither should we be. You know, I always make this argument. Of course, don't get me wrong. I'm, I, I was born next door in Uganda. I grew up in, in Uganda. My whole career has been in Africa. And so it's not, it's not a question of do I have a soft commitment, an emotional commitment to Africa. It's about can we find returns for investors that are going to keep them excited, not a sense of, you know, we're assisting the continent, we're committed to the continent, but it's profitable for us to be there, it's exciting for us to be there. You know, it's, I think, to, I, I borrow a lot of my thinking and, and investment approach from the fantastic entrepreneurs that, that I meet in my line of business. And, you know, you don't have to ask an entrepreneur that's running a successful business whether they're committed to that country or whether they're committed to their business. They're making money, they're doing 
well, it's a matter of course. And so I think provided um, we are making money, and, and I'll hazard a guess, I think everyone in the audience, if you've grown up in Africa, you've been around long enough, you've seen that there is money to be made on this continent. There is, you know, you, you, I don't know about the rest of you, but I, I have relatives. I grew up in Uganda, which, you know, post-conflict Uganda, poor country. It, it, growing up as a youngster, you know, a million dollars was not heard of, you know. People didn't talk about a million dollars. Today you have private equity firms that are doing deals, you know, tens, hundreds of millions of dollars in Uganda. What does that say? There is money to be made. And provided we can show where that money is, provided we can uh, have a conversation around how to make that money well, you know, I don't think international investors will have any issues with Africa. Mm. And David, you're in the process of uh, talking to your own clients about opportunities in private markets in Africa. What, what do you tell them? <laughs> Sure. I think I think what I tell them is quite simple: is that they SA pensions have the ability to allocate offshore, um, and they have an allowance of up to 30%, with a special dispensation to do sort of up to 10% in Africa. Um, and so Africa, relative to the global developed market in terms of return expectations, it provides a source of uncorrelated diversified return that you're not necessarily going to get in global global de developed markets. And so. That is really part of the uh, the promise and the uh, and the marketing pitch per se to, to my client base. Um, and further to build on that, our, my client base being SA Pensions are notoriously conservative, and so they see Africa as an attractive net dollar yield player um, across the private market asset class spectrum. So it's not just private equity. You know, as I mentioned, it's, there's, there's private credit opportunities, infrastructure. Those asset classes potentially provide enough return for the risk borne um, in terms of the expectations of my client base. Mm. And Todd, also you've been uh, quite successful with your partners across Africa and with your own firm as well. With Sundam has been a, a driving force in, a, a, across Africa. Can you tell us more about what, what you can, what, what you've learned from those experiences as well? Uh, sure, but before I do that, maybe sure. I can just speak to a couple of points that uh, Charles and, and David respectively mentioned. I think the points about you know regulations in South Africa encouraging investment into Africa. You know, it's, you, you try and understand why there hasn't been a bigger take-up. You know, it's David's touched on one or two of those, and I keep thinking about my daughter when she was about four or five years old. She had a bad experience getting an injection at the doctor. And ever since then, she won't want to even look at a needle. And I'd say that's a big factor in South Africa. I think the early investors onto the continent outside the South African borders, perhaps they you know, went into listed equities, which was very volatile. You know, When they needed liquidity, the liquidity wasn't there. And it's quite difficult to go back. Um, those that went were those who were most ambitious, you know, most you know, risk-seeking. Uh, uh, so if, even those investors are struggling to you know, reach the full capacity of the, what regulations allow, then you can understand how difficult it is for the more conservative. And maybe just to what Charles was saying around um, you know, global investors having the full universe, you know, basically the world's the oyster and they'll make a decision based on what's the best contributing uh, investment for their portfolio. I think his comment on the fact that returns are available in the continent is very true. And I think it's, it's attractive on a risk-adjusted basis um, in, in many cases, but the difficulty is that 
what is risk. And there's internationally a perception that risk is high in Africa for whatever reason, but you can definitely point to areas where that's not the case. And an equivalent investment in an African jurisdiction actually is more attractive than, than one in a developed market. So I thought I'd just make that point and, and maybe also just to talk about maybe one other barrier when it comes to an international investor is, is the maths does, doesn't work sometimes. So for a, an, a commercial investor internationally to make an allocation, it's really got to move the dial in their portfolio. And to do that, the check size has got to be quite big. And often the funds in, that we have to offer just can't accommodate it, given that often the, the investor has a, a limit on the proportion that they can be in a fund. So sometimes the maths just doesn't work uh, in that regard. Maybe just talking to, to Sunlam, I mentioned earlier that Sunlam has now, um, now has 34 countries where it has operations. And I think the key to that was, was patience. So back in 2005, South Africa was, or Sunlam had a lot of experience with entry level sort of insurance market and felt that it was an opportunity to try and expand in, into other countries in Africa and took a stake in, in AFLIFE, um, which gave the group exposure to seven other countries. And I think the real key there was not what Sunlum provided to AFLIFE, it was what AFLIFE provided to Sunlum. It gave us an understanding of seven completely new markets. Um, it also did allow us to um, you know, be patient and to observe and to understand those markets and that over time has helped us to, to grow. I think patience in Africa is quite key and I don't think that even local and international investors necessarily appreciate that you've got to be in it for the long haul. Um, I think that's probably the key to, to it, but also I believe that key success of Sunlum is that we obviously want to um, make the local businesses thrive. So we want to provide skills which we have in South Africa, but not export them. We want to upskill local businesses, we want it to be local, locally run, and for them to prov provide the learnings to us. All right, thank you. At this point, I'll start to divide between the two groups here. <laughs> More US and international investors, maybe the South African and the continental investors. I'd like to understand, we're trying to understand also where you guys are going to get capital because you know, the more capital you have, the more you can deploy. Um, and the, maybe if I start with the rest of the world <laughs> team, you know, can you let us know, I mean, give us a sense as to what kind of investors you've already attracted, which sure. ones you're, start, you're talking to, uh, what, what, what kind of momentum do you see there? Uh, uh, and yeah, so sure. Um, um, as I said in the beginning, our client base is pretty captive. We have 140 clients, and they are mostly endowments and foundations. So they tend to be open-minded. They tend to invest for the long run. You know, they want to be around forever. And and the good thing about being there for a long time, because to be quite frank, I think they view my whole Africa investing thing as a pet project that Anthony is working on. But I've uh, been there for 12 years, you know, you build some credibility and you're able to put some things into the portfolio that you think um, are interesting. You know, so our source of capital is always going to be uh, endowments and foundations, North American based. We have 40 billion now. We go up by about 2 billion every year, you know, so we can expect that growth and 15% of that goes to private assets. Um, so we continue a nice pace of 400 to 600 million maybe in the future putting to work. I don't know how much of that 
will go to Africa, but as long as I'm there, you know, there's gonna be a push to at least, you know, um, find strong names like Sango and some of the underlying names within Sango where we could um, actually allocate some mm. capital to. We pray for we, we pray for long life and health for Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so our product is a niche product and it's uh, frankly not for everyone. And so we have to be extremely nuanced about how we raise capital. We have to think through which types of institutions are likely to demand uh, our product. You know, it is often viewed as a sort of dilutive product because there's an extra layer of fees. And so finding clients for us is a you know, very, very challenging uh, process. But what we always tell our clients, you know, in, in sort of exchange for backing us with your capital, number one, we want you to be confident that you're backing a strong manager, a very good quality manager. So again, you're not giving us a pass. We, we like to think of ourselves, and we have a diverse group of investors, as I've already said, many of them um, from the US, although we have uh, some Asian clients, and we're trying to diversify uh, around the world. But what we like to say to them is we want to be a, a you know, top, three top five manager in your portfolio. We don't want you thinking of us as, oh, you know, uh, our Africa manager. We want you to think of a good quality manager that's good, doing a good job for you, educating you about the market, giving you uh, fantastic outcomes and returns. I think we also touched on this point earlier on uh, as the panelists before we got here, and this is a, a sort of a, a point for, for those GPs in the room that are looking to raise capital. It's extremely important not to think of the whole world as your potential clientele. Do not waste time chasing everyone. There's this notion that there's some glorified category of investors called commercial investors. There is no such thing as commercial investors in one bucket. Investors look for different things, demand different products, are approached in different ways, have different investment horizons, have different expectations, different risk appetite. And so you need to understand who your product is relevant to. Don't waste time you know, speaking or trying to speak to everyone. So as a result, you know, we've learned. We've learned the lessons. We've, you know, gone to those meetings, you know, in the U.S. and in Europe and so on where, you know, we know for sure that those people are not taking the meeting because they're interested in the product, but because they are bored and it's, you know, sort of an hour before their knock-off time and they have nothing else to do. And so they'll meet you, you know, and yet you've paid for a ticket from Africa. So I think it's important as you're trying to fundraise that you understand exactly who your product is likely to be relevant to. If you hire a placement agent, you know, hire a good one like Alexandre, don't, you know, go off and hire someone that's going to put you in front of, you know, lots of people that, you know, you get in there, and I was talking to a friend of mine last night, and he, he was telling me, you get in there, and, and, you know, the first thing they tell you just after they've poured the coffee, well, we don't do Africa. <laughs> but you're already sitting in the meeting, and you're wondering whether you should finish the coffee or leave right away. So it's extremely important that you categorize who you think is, is a good sell for your product and then approach them in a, in a smart way with a good quality product. Well, thank you. We'll get back to that. <laughs> can I just, can I just, yeah, yeah, can I just add yeah. to that? So, yeah, I, I think that that point is vital, and I think that the onus is on the GPs to actually understand in detail what the need is for, for the LP. So to actually understand what, what issue are they trying to solve? What issue is your capability going to bring to them? So in you know, marketing parlance, it's the unique value proposition. What is the overlap between what skills you have with what will actually resolve in uh, satisfying a need for them? Hmm. 
and David and Todd, I'm going to put you on the grill here. Because you represent, uh, you speak to institutions in South Africa, uh, which is arguably one of the most, the oldest and the most sophisticated uh, market when it comes to private equity. Uh, although I don't want to create device there, but it's been a long, uh, you know, quite quite uh, <laughs> long-dated private equity market. What, what, how do you see the, the the continent developing in terms of local investors, starting from South Africa? Do you see more pension funds, local investors, that will also be commercial investors that that will invest in funds? Thanks, Alex. Sure. So I think, despite us being potentially the most developed private equity market in in Africa, which is questionable, the the um, the industry in terms of SA pensions is still materially underinvested. Mm. So I've got some stats um, that I'll rattle off. But in essence, the industry in terms of SA pensions is around three hundred billion dollars in size, of which um, half is under management by the single largest pension fund being the Government Employees Pension Fund. Um, and then the other half comprise about 3,000 pension funds, of which only 20 have invested in private equity. Okay. And if you kind of put that in percentage terms, in terms of AUM, what that means is that in essence, outside of the GPF, $150 billion um, of potential AUM, only 1% of that has gone into private equity in South Africa. So if you think of who's been funding private equity in South Africa, it's a combination of the GPF, the larger pension funds, and the DFRs. Yeah. Um, so in, in, the, in that context, SA pensions are, are regulated and are able to allocate up to 10% into private equity, but you're sitting at 1%. So there's still a, a potential a large wall of money that could be allocated in either SA or Africa. However, the momentum is not there. And I think in the context of our client base, our, our 20 billion of AUM, that represents a lot of the smallest to medium-sized pensions in SA who have suffered the poison pill experience that what Todd articulated earlier around the needle, um, in that they've often been approached by GPs in the local market and uh, their, their allocation is relatively small in terms of what they're able to write in terms of checks in private equity. They end up allocating it all to one GP and potentially not the best GP. And then returns start going south, the J-curve hits them and they're not ready for it. And they end up selling into a J-curve in a secondary market that doesn't really exist in SA. And so they get totally you know, flummoxed by the asset class. And that's part of the reason um, while we're building and uh, have built an SA product that's integrated across private market assets to give them somewhat more of a diversified soft landing in mm. the space and, and doing the same in Africa to try and mobilize sort of a lot of pension money that's been sitting idle for a long time. Right. Th thanks for this perspective. Uh, I'll turn now to the investment side, which is probably most relevant for many GPs in the audience who want to know what you'll be investing in <laughs> in, the coming, uh, in the coming cycle. Um, and I will go back to maybe Charles' point about you know, what it takes to attract your attention. Uh, and there's always this chicken and egg discussion about uh, has African private equity shown sufficient success as well uh, so far to attract more commercial uh, interest. Uh, but uh, you know, I'd, like, I'd like to ping you on that and say, you know, you, you actually made some very interesting comments about you know, GPs, how they portray themselves and how, how, how they should go about getting commercial uh, LPs. Uh, what are you, you, know, you, you see GPs all, all day long, so <laughs> what, what kind of advice can you give? Yeah, uh, it's interesting. You make the comment, I've met so many GPs over the course of the last two days. Sometimes I forget whether they said they're investing in Nigeria or Burundi or whatever it is. <laughs> but uh, the couple of, couple of things I think that um, 
I can point to. The, the first one is, it's not easy to make money. That, that, that one I'm giving you for free. <laughs> I mean, otherwise, everyone that's read Rich Dad, Poor Dad would be a millionaire. <laughs> the fact of the matter is, um, making money is tough, and it's particularly tough in this dynamic, rapid changing African environment. And so, when we look at GPs, we are most times looking for a team that has a clear, well articulated, repeatable strategy. And, and those are very, very important keywords for us because sometimes a team will come to you and they'll say, this is what we're going to do. Remember, most times you're looking at a, a team that hasn't you know, yet raised a fund or maybe they've raised some money and they think they're going to deploy it along a certain strategy. And, and many times GPs will come to you and say, you know, this is what I'm going to do, this is our strategy, this is how we're going to you know, invest the capital ETC. And at the end of the day, you're thinking to yourself, I didn't hear a single thing in there that you can do across two or three different investments. It's all, we will play it by ear. You know, we will hopefully, you know, invest some money and at the end of five years, you know, we'll have built a portfolio and who knows when we'll give you back your money. So we're often looking for a clear, well-articulated, repeatable strategy. And again, I'll say this, if you are a GP and you're raising capital, it's very important to say what you're going to do and do what you said you are going to do. It's extremely important because oftentimes things change. Things change in your market. You, you're hit by some very complex macro situations. But if you stick to what you said you are going to do, if you stick to the things that you promised to do, oftentimes it is that clarity and consistency that is going to see you through tough times. If things don't go well for your fund, that's fine. It's always easy to explain that we stuck to the strategy and this is what went against us, but we were consistent. It's terrible when you speak to a GP and they tell you, we're not going to do startups, we're not going to do turnarounds. And then at the end of the day, they've built a 10 company portfolio, seven startups and you know, a turnaround. And it's always frustrating as a GP, so, uh, rather as an LP, so that's extremely important. I think the second thing that I'll add that I've, you know, we've learned you know, some very difficult lessons along the way in backing GPs. But, and again, I've, I've picked this up mostly from the entrepreneurs that I've interacted with. Be humble enough to know what you don't know. This is extremely important. There's lots of people in African private equity running around telling themselves they can do things that frankly, they're just not able to do. And if you're not humble enough, you're going to try to do things and you're going to learn some very difficult lessons with investors' money. One, inve one entrepreneur that I, I met a long time ago, just when I started my private equity career, I remember telling him he was running a successful business, he'd built it over 25 years, and I was saying to him, you know, we need to expand, we need to acquire other businesses, we need to go into different markets. And he simply said to me, I do not know how to run a business that has more than one front door. I just can't run a business of that nature. I don't have the complexity, the, the intellectual capacity, I just can't do it. And you'd be surprised at how many GPs talk about Boltons and this and expansion and that. The reality is there's complexity that lots of GPs don't take into consideration when they're starting to make their investments and they learn some very expensive lessons. So we're always looking for people that have a certain humility. They say this is what they're going to do to make money. They're consistent in that message. It is internally consistent with their character, their experience, their, their skill set, their personality, and there is a certain level of humility and they understand exactly what they can and what they cannot do. Well, th thanks, Charles. I don't know if you have any other tips you want to share, Anthony, uh, David, or Todd. Or maybe, you know, I see the time is running also. If there, there might be questions from the audience at this point as well. 
anyone has a, have any question for, for commercial investors? <laughs> Maybe while we wait. Please, yeah. So, so I just um, I wanted to share um, a quote from our CEO because um, I think it's very relevant for everyone in this room. He, he said, it's impossible to stress how deeply our vision is interwoven with our roots in Africa. We focused on ongoing opportunity creation for all Africans. There's unrivaled ingenuity and potential here, which we have the privilege of investing in. And I'm not saying that as Sunlam, I'm saying that applies to everyone in this room. And we're all advocates for, for Africa, and I believe that we will be successful. Please join me in, uh, in thanking our panelists for their contributions. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. To find out more about the African Private Equity and Venture Capital Association, please visit avca-africa.org.